You think I'm preaching too hard? You have lost your mind. A couple, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mikey called me and he asked me to deliver a message today uh, because he was preparing for his vacation and he asked me if I had a message. And uh, everything in me was just like, yeah, well, I got a few different messages that I could preach. Yeah, that won't be an issue at all. But there was something that God has been really kind of stirring inside of me. And I knew that this was the message that I needed to deliver to the church today. And it's not a very easy message, but it's something that has been just stirring inside of me. And I believe that it's for us here today. I'm talking about unknown. The topic of unknown. I don't know if you guys know the significance of today. Probably not because, you know, you guys maybe not be a nerd like I am. But one year ago today, Pastor Mike made an important announcement on Facebook that because of the results of the pandemic, that we had to close our physical doors to this building. And if you just sit back and you think about this last year, just the last year, the, the results of this coronavirus pandemic, just, just here in this area, think about all the different things that we have come through. I remember sitting back and, and Mike called me and he said, hey, I'm going to be posting this video. I need you to be sharing it. We need to get the word out there as quick as possible in response to the mayor's request. And I just kept thinking about this word coronavirus. And I remember seeing a few days prior, seeing all these different things happening. Everything was so new. Everything was so fresh. This was before the terms like essential and non-essential became important to us. And as soon as that announcement was made, everyone just started to have di different pieces of fear. I know inside of me, there were so many things unknown, uncertainties that were about to be before me that I had no idea how to react. It was almost like we were just responding. We were sitting at the edge of our seat saying, okay, what's next? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through that? How are we going to keep pushing through? And just like dominoes, we started seeing different cities and different states and different countries even start closing their doors temporarily. Something I thought would have never been possible in my lifetime, seeing a church building having to close its doors physically. It was unknown. It was uncertain for me. I started thinking about different health reasons. I started thinking about different financial things. I started thinking about all these different things, and I'm sitting there wondering, God, what, what's happening? And you'd hear all these different mixed messages. Some people would say, it's only going to be a couple days. You guys remember the whole 15 days? Yeah. <laughs> Joke's on us. Okay, we heard so many different messages, so many different things. Everyone had different opinions about what was happening. Fear, anxiety, conspiracies, all these different words started popping up. It had good things and it had bad things. One of the good things that I'm grateful for with it, it gave me a time to sit with my immediate family for a few days. No more distractions, no more nothing. And I really started to dissect every aspect of my life. This is essential. This is not essential stock up on toilet paper, do all these different things. So many new things. Well, one of the saddest things was my son, my, my five-year-old son, learned this word coronavirus, and it kept coming out of his mouth. 
Way too young to even know what this thing should have been. Way too young. But we got through it. We've been getting through it. Even during those unknown times, the uncertainty. And there's good news and bad news for us. There's always unknown things and uncertainties in front of us. A few months ago, I was able to preach a message here about going through the valleys, going up and down, up and down. And that's the walk that we have in this life of Christianity. It's not a bed of roses. If anyone promised you that, I'm sorry that they lied to you. Sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's really exciting. Sometimes you're in absolute pain, absolute suffering, absolute loss. Up and down, up and down, going through this unknown. I remember thinking about what I was supposed to be preaching about in this idea of unknown a mentor's uh, face just kept popping in my, in my head when I was really new into the faith. And I would always come to him and I would call him at different times that I'm going through that unknown situation, the difficult times where I'm about ready to quit, about ready to give up. And he'd always look at me or talk to me on the phone, whichever situation it was, and he'd always say something that just would just grind my gears at the time. I would be so angry. He would say, God called you you can't uncall yourself. And I hate it when truth just gets smacked in my face like that. And I would hear it for years. God called you. You can't uncall yourself. It doesn't matter if you feel like giving up. It doesn't matter if you don't know what's in front of you. It doesn't matter if you don't know what your retirement's going to be like or this or that, that. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that God called me. If you have your Bibles... I'm going to be reading about this unknown. We're in the, the book of Acts, Acts 17, starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along, I observed your objects of worship. I also found an, an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he, he himself gives life to all mankind, breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling place that they may seek him and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from us. For in him we live and move and have being. Even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we might not think uh, that the divine being of gold and silver or stone or image forged by imagination of man. The times of ignorance have been overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your generosity. We thank you for making yourself known to us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. I chose this passage of Scripture for an important reason. Most of you don't know anything about me, and that's fine, because 
I'm nobody special. My story is not unique at all. But I grew up as a Catholic. Anyone here come out of the Catholic Church? We got a few people. And one thing I remember, I would go there every single Sunday. I went through Catholic, Catholic schooling. I mean, we would do Mass. We would do all of that. One thing that I always thought was so unique and was just really burnt into my brain was the beautiful temple. Those of you who have been inside one of those churches, you'll know it's not just a big box like this. Most of them, they really took a lot of time. They put marble. They put statues. We got stained glass. We got all these different things. And growing up in that situation, there was always an idea that God was up here on this altar. I was back there in the pew, and there was a man standing in between us, known as the father or the priest, and he was kind of the go-between. That this God was a little bit distant, we knew that he was loving, we knew all these different things, but we still went through this man here, who would tell us about him, who would show us about him. And I always had this idea that inside that temple, that's where God lived. And we even had a little candle up there that would symbolize that every time it was lit, God's presence was in there. I mean, all of these different ideas were really entrenched in my head. And as I was looking at the idea of being called by God, that building is where it first started for me. It first started for me when I was about 18, 19 years old, completely lost, had walking away from all that stuff, have just been living a complete life of sin, just at the very end of my rope. I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was thinking about how different ways how to end my suffering. Completely lost, broken. But there was something in me that started saying in my mind, just a thought, just a, just a simple thought that if I could get any help at all, it would be in that building because that's where God is. And so in my naive state, that's what I did. I went to that building in the middle of the night because, you know, in small town Iowa, the Catholic church was open 24 hours a day. And I would just walked in. You guys won't be able to do that here. We locked the doors, okay? But I just walked in, small town Iowa, and I just started looking at all these statues, all these different things. And I just started crying out to God. God, do you feel my pain? Do you know my situation? God, are you here? God, are you listening? I had no idea how to really pray. I remember I could ramble a rosary like that for you. But I had no idea how to pray. I had no idea what I was doing. And the whole time which seemed like forever, but it was really probably only in about 10 minutes. That was my attention span back then. I felt empty. I felt nothing. I didn't feel like a big oh-ha moment. I didn't feel just completely filled with the presence of God or anything like that. I just felt like I was talking to a tomb. Like God was still so far away from me. But you know what's interesting about that? That moment, that night, is where I pinpoint where my search for God began. My real search for God. And I had no idea the unknown things that were coming in front of me, the different couple months of suffering I was about to, to go through in order to really have a true encounter with this creator God. But that's where it began for me. And that's why I chose this passage, because it reminds me of that. The Apostle Paul, after having his great conversion experience, after leading all of these different people, ministering, discipling, all these things, he finds himself in a group of people who were religious leaders of various different religions, different, different uh, 
different people with different philosophies, different ideas. All of the people at that time, they would trade religions with each other. They would try to get these different secrets, these different answers to all of the unknown things around them. They would just sit there for hours just discussing and trading these different ideas. Oh, I think it's this, I think it's this, I think it's this. And as he's walking through there, he sees all the different statues. They had a God for fire, a God for rain, a God for fertility, a God for this, a God for that, a God for everything. They wanted to worship all these gods. They wanted to truly uh, get to know who this unknown God was. They were so concerned about these gods that they even had another statue to the unknown God just in case they forgot a God. And Paul, as he's looking through there, he uses that as the example, as a way to really pierce their heart. He stands boldly in front of them and says, Hey, men of Athens, hey, all of you guys here, I can see in every way you're very religious. I can see that you're trying to please all of these different people, try to learn all these different things. I can see you're so concerned with it that you even have that statue to the unknown God. What you worship is unknown. I want to make it known to you. It reminds me just like Jesus when he's talking to the Samaritan woman and he's revealing who he is. He's making the unknown God known. He says to her, hey, you Samaritans, you worship what you don't know, but this I proclaim to you. That's the, that's the, the, the great commission of every believer. We make what is unknown known because we are living in a world, even 2,000 years ago, even today, we are living in a world where people still do not truly know their creator. The unknown God. The Apostle Paul is using this as an example to proclaim the gospel message, and he gives a very important secret in this. Something that I can relate to so much going through the different struggles. We see here in verse 22, the reason for all of this. Paul is talking about how God, he created everything from one man and all this other stuff. He talks about how he determined the amount of time they would live in this world, the different boundaries, the different places that they would live, how he just organized everything. And then he points us to this truth, the reason he did it, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us. What he's doing is he's painting a picture for you. A picture is if you were a blind person, how many people remember going through life? Kind of basically like you're, like you're a blind person, feeling your way. Oh, should I make this decision? Should I move here? Should I go there? So many uncertainties, I don't know. If you were a person without the gift of sight, you have to rely on everything else and you're, you're feeling your way into the direction that you need to go. And Paul is saying this is the walk that all of us are having. All the different unknowns in front of us, the reason is this, that you will feel your way towards God, that you are looking towards him. But here's the most beautiful part. The most beautiful part is he says that God's actually not far off from them. You might feel like he's a million miles away as you're feeling your life through all the different situations, all the different struggles. You might feel like he's not answering your prayer, just like I felt in that church that he wasn't hearing me. You might feel these things, but that's not the truth. The reality is that he's not far from you. It gives the example as you're feeling everything, trying to get towards him, and you feel like he's so far away, that Jesus is right there saying, hey, Come forward. Take another step forward, my son. Go over here, my daughter. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Keep moving. Don't stop. Don't quit. Jesus is guiding them through this unknown, 
Just like he's guiding this church. Just like he's guiding each of you who can hear this voice right now. Even though you're going through the valleys, the ups and the downs, you're going through all the uncertainty, he's right there leading you, guiding you, if you would only look to listen. When I think about this and when I think about the situations with this, I'm reminded of a man named Charles Blondin. Anyone ever heard of this man? Didn't think so. 1859, years and years before coronavirus, before the Spanish flu, before all this different stuff. No television, no, uh, no telephones, all a whole different world back then. 1859, in a place called Niagara Falls. You guys know Niagara Falls? Amen. Charles Blondin was the first person to ever tightrope across that Niagara Falls. It was a difficult journey for him, but he gathered about 5,000 people. 5,000 people to watch him do it. He strung up the tightrope, and he uh, had his little balance bar, and he starts walking it back, and everybody in the crowd is just going, wow, oh, it's amazing, look at that. Oh, he didn't fall. He goes back and forth, and he's like, hey, I'm going to cook an omelet out there. I'm going to go smack dab in the middle, and I'm going to cook an omelet. Do you believe that I can do that? And the crowd was like, yeah, I believe it. Sure, I want to watch this. So he, t- he gets rid of the, t- uh, the, the little stick, the balance stick, goes out to the middle, sits down on that tightrope, fries a little egg, eats his little omelet, gets back up, does his thing, goes back and forth. Then he gets a wheelbarrow, puts a sack of potatoes in there, and he says, hey, do you believe that I can do this? You saw me do this, you saw me do that, do you believe that I can do this? And the crowd says, yeah. We don't have any Pentecostals here today. Yeah, there we go. He says, yeah. And so he takes his wheelbarrow and he just starts going across, going across, no issue at all. And then he goes right back. Then he takes the potatoes out and he looks at the crowd again and he says, do you believe that I can put a person in here with me? And the crowd said, oh, shakaba, we can do better than that. The crowd said, thank you, Teen Challenge. And then he looks at the crowd who just said, yes, I believe you could do it. And he asks him another question. He says, hey, who wants to get in there with me? So silent, you can hear a pin drop. Nobody wanted to get in there. A couple years later, either his mother or his manager went in there with him. It's, uh, it's the history with it. Nobody really knows which person it was. But on that day, nobody was willing to get in there with him. When I think about that situation, I think about so many of us here walking this walk of Christianity. We hear about how great God is. We sing about how great God is. We even see him do so many different things in our life. But when he says, hey, get in that wheelbarrow with me. Are you willing to get in there? Going across Niagara Falls, the storm of this life. The sound of the waves sounds like thunder, mist all over in the air from the splashes of water, knowing if you fall, you're going down, never to get up again. How many of us this morning are in a similar situation in our life? Where Jesus, we know that he is calling us to take that step with him. To literally get in that wheelbarrow and let him guide us through the unknown, through the uncertainty. This unknown God 
The God that Paul was talking about and the God that I'm telling you about this morning. He was so desperate to make himself known that he did the unthinkable. Just like when he was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, revealing, making himself unknown, he did the same thing a few thousand years later when he came to this world born of a virgin. Walking with his creation hand in hand. Spending anywhere between 30 to 33, maybe even closer in the 40s of years with these people. His creation. Making himself known. He grabs a few followers, calls them his disciples, calls them his friends. Starts revealing this unknown God to them. Day after day, they're feeling their love. They're seeing the miracles. They're hearing the words of life. The unknown God desperately making himself known to his creation. But something very unique was going to be the difference here. The difference between the garden and the difference at the time when Jesus was walking this world making himself known is he was about to make the ultimate sacrifice. About to make the ultimate sacrifice for his creation who did not know him to be known again and to know who he is. We see him start taking those steps in John 17 where he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying because of the unknown. If you look at those different words, he's praying for you, he's praying for those followers, he's praying for courage, he's praying for unity, he's praying that you and I begin to know the unknown God. That future generations would truly know him. His pain and his agony, the anxiety, all those things going on inside of this man Jesus. This God-man Jesus. His body doesn't want to go through what he's about to go through. And he's praying to his father and saying, Father, if there's any other way, if it's possible at all, please don't have me do this. I know what's about to happen. I know the pain. I know the joy that's going to happen with this as well. But please, my body doesn't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. Boldly coming into the unknown. He's in such pain and agony that he develops a medical condition that's very rarely documented but is documented where sweat, like drops of blood, start coming from him. Very similar to my sweat here this morning. Drops of blood. Do you know how that happens? How it's been documented? Because when you're under such pain, such anxiety, your blood vessels literally begin to burst within you and start to pour out through you. The difficult thing with this is it also makes your skin extremely sensitive. If I were to blow on your skin a little bit of wind, not even a little touch, you would probably scream in absolute agony. And that's how he begins his march to the cross. The soldiers grab him from the moment they grab him, they beat him, they spit him, they, they spit on him, they mock him. They take him to illegal court proceeding after illegal court proceeding trying to prove he's guilty. Doing everything they can. The Bible very clearly says these men even took their hands, their sinful hands, and they ripped the beard from his face. Ripped the beard from his face. When they finally get him in front of Pilate and they take him in front of everybody and they say, hey, here's your king, what do you want to do with him? You want to set him free? What did he hear his creation scream? Crucify him. Crucify him. We want more. This is not good enough. More blood. More punishment. Stop this blasphemer. Have you ever seen the Passion of the Christ? It's a beautiful picture of it, but it doesn't truly do it justice compared to what actually would have happened. It gives you a glimpse. 
When they would have whipped him, they would have taken these leather, these leather strands, these leather braids, and it would have had sheep bones and different rocks and shells on the end of it, and they were designed in a very unique way. When they would take it and whip him, it would tenderize the meat. It would bruise it really good, making it soft. And when they would pull back, the bones and the shells would dig into the flesh and rip flesh out with it. Over and over again. Most people probably would have died of a stroke at that point from the loss of blood. But he was just beginning. Over and over again. And then they take a robe and they infuse it on his body, wrapping it kind of like a bandage to prevent him from dying right there. They wanted the pain to continue, to stop the blood connecting to the body. And then they take a crown of thorns. It probably wasn't a circle of crown. It would have been more like a bush. And remember how painful his face would have been with that, with that condition with the blood coming out. And they shove it on his head. But that wasn't enough. It was just beginning. And they take him and they stand him in front of all these people again. Probably hundreds, maybe even thousands. People who he once ministered to. And Pilate says, hey, what do you want to do with this man? Are you done? And what does he hear? Crucify him. Crucify him. The creator of everything, who could have stopped everything with just a snap of his fingers or a one word calling down legions of angels to destroy everything, had to hear his creation say, it's not enough. We want more. And so they give in. They don't necessarily give him a cross. It probably was more like just a beam of wood, about 50 pounds or more. And they make him march to his place of execution before they connect the cross. And here's the interesting with that. Romans didn't develop or invent crucifixion. They just perfected it. You see, one of the prophecies about Jesus was that not one bone would be broken. A lot of times we see pictures with a hole in his hand right there, but that's probably not where it would have been because it would have broken a bone and it couldn't support the weight of a man. But right here, which is still connected part of the hand, part of your wrist, is a nice little size hole where a nail can literally be driven through there and support the weight of a man. The problem is there's a huge nerve there, and every time you would bang that hammer to get that nail to go through, agony and pain would shoot up to his brain. Just this one. And then this one. And then they have to connect the feet. And then they take the cross and they drop it in a hole and shake them like that. But his pain's just beginning. The perfect, the perfect thing about this, to make it real painful, is when you're hanging on a cross like this, you can breathe in, but you can't breathe out. So in order for him to breathe out and take another breath, to continue looking at his creation that did this to him, he would have to pull himself up and relive all that pain in his joints for hours, listening to his creation mock him, saying, hey, you said you'd destroy this temple in three days. Come on down. Hey, preacher man, you trusted in God. You who claim to be able to do this, why can't you come down? And the whole time he's looking at all of creation. And he's saying, Father, forgive him. It's done. Forgive them because they do not know what is happening. 
Here's what was happening. This unknown God was doing everything he can, going to desperate lengths to make himself known to his creation. This unknown God that saved me 15, 16 years ago, taking me through all different types of situations, all different types of countries, all different types of joyous moments and painful moments, who orchestrated it all. This unknown God was just trying to make himself known to me today. What about your story? How many times in your past has this unknown God been doing everything to make himself known to you? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want us to play this song, the last song that they played. I love this song. It talks about how our creator God is still enthroned. Who he truly is. Two thousand years. Two thousand years of people believing on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that was sufficient. I talked this morning about this unknown. And I am telling you today, we are entering into a season of unknown, just like every day. All of us. And your creator God, who desperately wants to make himself known, is asking you to to get in the fight with him. To jump in that wheelbarrow and say, hey, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what you're asking of me. But I know who you are. I know your character. I know what you've done in my life. And these are stepping stones in my faith. And I am choosing to believe at the end of the day, when we cross over to that next side of eternity, you're going to be looking at me and saying, well done. Well done. Good job. You listened to my voice. You followed me. You took a step with me. None of us know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be 20 years from now. Some of you younger ones, a lot longer than that. You have a beautiful gift here. Follow this unknown God into the known. Discover who he is. Embrace his sacrifice. Oh
flashes of lightning goes as you with these words from the letter of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence with great joy, for the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Have a great week, Christian life. The ushers will be at the door if you want to give an offering today. God bless you. We'll see you.